Hey everybody, welcome back to the Kingdom Project podcast. I am your host Marcus Hall as usual, so uh, we're going to get back into Galatians here. But first I wanted to say thank you for those who have uh, uh, given money. And uh, you know who you are, so thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, that helps to stay on for another year. And... Um, in case you don't know, uh, it's not just for the sermons on Sunday. I will put out other episodes during the week. Uh, not every week, but uh, so it's it's not just for Sunday sermon stuff. Uh, it's for other stuff uh, having to do with the Bible. Most of you know that, I believe. But anyway, thank you. So we're going to go ahead and finish out chapter 5 of Galatians here. Uh talking more in detail about the fruit of the spirit and as we've we have seen this is how paul writes a lot is dealing with laying out doctrine and then application to our lives all right and paul has said to to walk by the spirit and if we do that we will not carry out the desire of the flesh and that's the central concept here, is that Paul is making this ethical appeal uh, for this, and uh, for the because the Christian life begins with the Spirit, right? He's even asked back in chapter 3, uh, remember when he asked that question, uh, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Because they were going to go back to law and all these other things. So then we saw this, uh, more contrast and that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another and that the only way to continue in the Christian life after regeneration is by the power of the spirit, not our own power at all. All right. So he, he wrote this to Christians, right? We have to know this. And this is a, he's giving application for the daily ins and outs of life, the daily routine. Okay. And, but I, I, I point out something that we should already know is that he is writing to those who started with the spirit, which means they all had the spirit of God in them. All right. So all, all Christians have the spirit of God in them. And because of that, we all have the capacity to walk by the spirit. All of us. Okay. Now it's not always easy and it's not always something that's just going to automatically happen. And I'll mention that a little bit more in a second. And so you have to ask the question, if you're not, then what, what's the problem? And I think a lot of times, and we just talk about Christians uh, in general for a moment, those who are in church and, um, or you know what I mean, just those who are, Christians, maybe, uh, maybe you don't know what I mean. That's okay. Here's my point, though. I think many of us in ev evangelicalism, all right, many of us have just gotten away from actual study and the Word of God. We have become far too reliant on man, okay. And yeah, okay, you could use me in, a, in the podcast as an example if you wanted to, but that w wouldn't be as uh, fair because my point is um, going on some sort of new curriculum or new teaching, all right? So um, 
as far as pastors are concerned, they should be going verse by verse, I think. That's the best way, all right? I think you, they should be doing expository preaching and teaching. But I believe that we have become removed from from reading and studying and knowing how to interpret the Word of God. And therefore, we think, well, you know, I don't know that much. I'm not that theological. I don't really understand the Bible a whole lot. I get some stuff out of it, but it's just for me. Therefore, I need the new curriculum, the new book. And it's. I think we get distracted by the best, the new bestsellers at the Christian bookstore, you know, if you will, or whatever's big in the denomination that you're in. And that book usually comes with a study guide. And so it's a Sunday school thing, or it becomes a a man a, a men's meeting or a women's thing, and we we dedicate ourselves to reading that book and those studies. When I'm not going to say uh, that's all bad across the board, it's not okay. But a lot of times they're just written; they're somewhat generic and. They are written in a way to make it sound like these are profound things that they that have been revealed to them, and they're really not. And the, and the reason why is because we're all capable of having the Scripture illuminated and revealed to us. <laughs> so um, that's my take, okay? Um, it... it Instead of dedicating, like, we we are too consumed with that instead of dedicating ourselves to the Word of God and learning it so it itself will dwell within us. Okay, so Paul, then, that's my rant. Paul is given the list of manifestations of the flesh and spirit for contrast, which we've gone through, and we're going to go through more of the fruit in detail today. All right, so 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit, okay? Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right. Now, this is sanctification, okay? This is sanctification, and so we'll talk about that for a moment. Practical sanctification is spiritual growth, which is conformity to the Word of God and Christ's likeness. It is walking by the Spirit. And John says, the one who says he abides in him ought himself walk in the same manner as he walked in 1 John 2, 6. So we ask all these questions. How do we walk like Christ? How do we learn to live like Christ? Um, How do we become sanctified and grow into this Christ likeness? All right. These are all the same questions. They're just worded differently and they all have the same answer. All right. And the answer is practical sanctification is a matter of dependent discipline. All right, and dependent emphasizes our need for God's power to work in us. Okay, so this the regeneration is a a momentary act, right? And it brings a person from spiritual life or death to life, and that's exclusively God's work. But the sanctification is an ongoing process, and it's completely dependent on God's continuing action in the believer and consisting of the believer's struggle on topics, issues, and with sin. So, if you want, like, an actual definition, sanctification is 
the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Okay, so that's the definition. But it's a continuing change that's worked by God in us, freeing us from these works or deeds of the flesh or the desires that could be there and lingering. Okay, so um, knowing, it, well, the, God's method, God's method of this sanctification, okay, it's not just self-reliant activity and it's not apathy or God, just this uh, passivity, right? It, it, it's, it's human effort dependent on God, okay? Again, that dependence, okay? So we have to apply these means of sanctification. We, we need to be willing to spend time in the word. We need to confess our sins as they're revealed in God's word. And we should watch how we live. So we, you make a conscious decision to obey all, all of these. And to obey all these is to obey the word. All right. So walking by the spirit or this growth and sanctification then is not just that matter of personal discipline plus God's work. It's that matter of dependent discipline. It's recognizing that we are dependent on God to enable us to do what the word tells us to do. All right. <laughs> and then, then it's like, it's always to him. It's always looking to him to produce that growth. Okay. Now you'll see a similar list of qualities in second Peter one, five and seven. Okay. And there's this different, uh, source here. Okay. So he writes now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So, Paul starts with love. Peter ends with love. Paul emphasizes the divine source. Okay? It, go back here the fruit of the spirit. That's the divine source from the divine source comes love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest. All right. Peter emphasizes to apply all diligence, which is our responsibility. So here you, you would have sort of an example, I believe of God's sovereignty and human responsibility is working together. Completely dependent on God. So the flesh is what you do in your own power in your own strength, what you do yourself, all right? Now, this is all, that's sin, and that's works or deeds of the flesh, and it also becomes legalism. Even when it's done in good, like with good intentions and good meaning, when it has to do with things in the church, okay? So to walk after the flesh is to seek life in terms of what man can accomplish of himself, and that's it, all right? Whereas living by the spirit is depending upon the resources and abilities of the spirit whom God gives by grace through faith. So again, the fundamental issue is depending. All right. 
It's the object of the dependence. Is it you or is it God? All right. So Paul's talking about the result the spirit produces. And it's the fruit. Okay. Not fruits, but it's fruit. Now, sometimes there's one instance in, in Matthew, know them by their fruit. It's doctrine. Um, here it's a result or an outcome. All right. And it's, it's the product of inner life. Now, I, I want to em- emphasize that because there's many in evangelicalism as a whole. We're always like, look at the fruit, look at the fruit, look at the fruit all the time. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not pointing to manifestations or numbers or how many likes or views or the attendance is. It It's a result of inner life. Okay. And it's singular, all right? There's nine fruit of the Spirit, and it's like a cluster of grapes, and it's all flowing from the grapevine. So Paul's not speaking of a series of fruits that could be shared around so that one believer has one and the other believer has another, like the gifts of the Spirit. He's actually referring to a cluster such that all the qualities are to be manifested in each believer, all right, and it's not going to be instantaneous. This takes time. This is practical daily living here. Okay, and you also know that what, what the flesh comes by works. All right, that's works or deeds, but the Holy Spirit produces fruit. Okay, and so that's the contrast, which is consistent with Paul's emphasis throughout this epistle. He's repeatedly contrasted working and trusting. Right. It, and, and it's it, you're, you're going to work if you if you're dependent on yourself, you're working. But if you're trusting in God. You're being led by the Holy Spirit and being empowered by the spirit. All right. So love heads the list. All right. Love is the focus of the entire ethical appeal. And it's through like verses 13, 14. Uh, like all through uh, chapter two and chapter five, all right? Serve one another in love. Love fulfills the law. Love is the expression of faith. Love is demonstrated in a tangible way in the sacrificial love of Christ and the service of believers. And all the other moral qualities in the list define and flow from that love. And And the word love is agape, and that's used by New Testament writers to designate this volitional love as opposed to a purely emotional love. Okay, so it's a self-sacrificial love. And it's a love naturally ex- expressed by divinity, not so easily, not so easily by humanity. All right? It, it agape is the only word ever used to describe God's love, and we are commanded to love. We know John 15:12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. In 1 John 3.11, it says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Okay? So, we're commanded to love. And now you have joy. Joy means a deep-seated gladness, regardless of the circumstances that are happening in your life. And the reality of joy is that it is it, 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 that it marks the life of the believer even when facing difficulties and trials. So when we live with the consciousness that our sins are forgiven and our enmity, our hostility has been all removed by God, right? 
and, and, and God's wrath has been removed, then joy ought to emerge from uh, even the, in the worst of times. In pieces and in inner quiet, quietness and in response or uh, in response, regardless of the circumstances, right? This peace is a tr- tranquility of mind based on a right relationship to God. It has nothing to do with circumstances. The verb means to bind together. You experience peace when nothing r- ruffles your feathers, right? Because you know everything is under control. No matter what happens, you know that everything between you and God is right. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, patience is used in the New Testament and is a word that, that almost on every occasion conveys the idea of having an infinite capacity to be to be injured without paying back. All right. It is it's used with regard to people, not circumstances. So it's having a long fuse uh, instead of a short fuse. And patient patience demonstrates a willingness to take someone's unpleasant unpleasant character <laughs> traits, if you will, in stride, and to ex- exhibit during patience, all right? And there are several passages that command Christians to be patient. Uh, Colossians 3.12 is one. And so, uh, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, hu- uh, humility, gentleness, and patience, okay? Now, kindness... Kindness is to show oneself useful. It's to be kind. New Testament has much to say about the kindness of God. And uh, as his children, we are to imitate him. Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And, uh, oh, my phone's going off, sorry. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Okay, kindness manifests compassion. And this is an action that comes out of empathy. And and we know, Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, uh, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Goodness carries uh, the ideal of generosity. I'm sorry, I took a drink of water. <laughs> My voice is getting dry. Um, I don't. I I try not to to uh, pause and take drinks when I'm recording, but I had to. I know you heard it because I hear it on other podcasts, and I'm always like, ugh. But goodness carries the ideal of generosity. All right. Now, that could imply financial gifts, but it also suggests the giving of our time and our our services, our energies to others in practical ways, okay? And that's to show uh, care and concern for them, right? Uh, Later in Galatians 6, uh, verse 10, it will say, While we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith, okay? Uh, Faithfulness. Faithful, faithfulness is that quality of being true and trustworthy and reliable in, in all one's dealings with others. And it means something like dependability. 
the person with this quality keeps his word. They keep their promises and their vows. And this is a quality of God, all right? That the Lord's uh, loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That's Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. And as we make our way through this list, all right, this is why I didn't want to go through the the works of the flesh because it's like all this awful, all these awful things that we know about already. But it seems like those are natural. We know those things. <laughs> um, when it comes to these qualities of the, the fruit of the spirit, uh, we we it, it's good to take time to find out the definitions and find them in in scripture. Okay, so we we go to gentleness. And that's closely related to humility. All right. Gentleness is not weakness. All right. It's not spinelessness. All right. It, it, willing, it's the willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. Okay. The gentle person knows that he is a sinner among sinners and he's willing to suffer the burden, uh, suffer the burden others, uh, other sins may impose on him. And, uh, you, you know, we, first Timothy six eleven tells us to, to pursue this, uh, self-control is the restraining of the passions and appetites, um, particularly in a moral sense. All right. It's a word that expresses the idea of personal discipline over one's life and lifestyle. And it, it suggests that a person understands his, his own natural leanings and by the Spirit restrains them so that the life of Christ might be preeminent in his personal life. Okay? So, um, that needs to be exhibited as well. And Paul speaks of his own personal uh, discipline, um, bringing his body into subjection to Christ so that in no way uh, would he be di disqualified as a believer, all right? In First Corinthians nine twenty four through 27, he says, Do you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we and imperishable therefore i run in such a way as as not without aim i box in such a way as not beating the air but i buffet my body and make it my slave lest possibly after i have preached to others i myself should be disqualified now there's a lot i could we could break down and go into that but i'm just using like there everybody in the world is doing something all right, he's using sports, all right, boxing and running and all this stuff. You train, you discipline yourself to be good at this. So you, your aim is to win, right? Um, now, we have eternal life. We are secured. We are sealed by the Spirit. Um, yet there is d discipline that comes in this practical sanctification, okay? So self-control is opposite of self-indulgence, all right? And we are commanded to be self-controlled. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, right? Sec that Second Peter 1, 5 uh, through 6. So, Paul uh, 
concludes that list there. I'm going to go back up here. Give me one moment. <laughs> yeah, he concludes this. Against such things, there is no law. All right. What does that mean? So again, we see that Paul is directing his comments to people who want to be under the supervision of the law. And he assures them that back in, in 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, right? The spirit produces all the qualities that fulfill the requirements of the law. Verse 14, for, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word and in, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? There's no rule in the Mosaic Law which can be cited against such character qualities. The Spirit-led life is not a life against the law. All right, It is a life that fulfills the law. The way to the fulfillment of the law is not to live under the law like slaves, though, but to live by the Spirit as a child of God. All right, So... Um, the whole antinomianism thing and people saying, well, you're so full of grace or grace teaching that you just throw out the law. And really, I mean, there are people like that, but it's extreme or hyper, if you will. And it's not sloppy grace. It's not greasy grace or anything like that. When you look at something like Galatians as a whole, he's summing all these things up and telling you this stuff. Uh, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. When the law is fulfilled in loving, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? So, uh, don't be a slave. Be free. Live by the Spirit as a child of God. So, the law speaks, speaks against the works of the flesh. But, there is no law against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right, so the law has no place so far as a means of sanctification or salvation. Right, however, the law does provide a standard of righteousness. The law is good and the law is holy. And Paul says that those who walk in the Spirit fulfill the law. Romans eight four, in in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. All right. Going on to verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So those who belong to Christ belong to Christ on the basis of one thing, that they realize that they cannot save themselves. They realize that no amount of religious performance, uh, no amount of trying to be good, can ever merit any righteousness whatsoever before God. Therefore, they have died to that way of thinking and knowing they have been crucified with Christ, uh, Christ lives in them. So despite the reality of the conflict that Paul is saying, the spirit provides, provides us with the power that we need to follow Christ. It's all given to us. It's, we have it. We're all capable. Verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Now that could be translated since, all right, which is good, uh, which I wish it was. <laughs> God has given us new life. Therefore, we should do something with it. We should walk by the Spirit, right? Paul is saying that we should keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We are called on to take this seriously. 
All right, to learn to follow the Spirit, to serve one another through love, to lay down our lives for love's sake for each other, to walk by the Spirit day in and day out in the little things as well as the big things, right? What what does this mean in practice? Well, Paul gives us a general practical application to the, the Galatian churches in the next verse, in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, so in their concentration on keeping the law, the Galatian believers had become very competitive in their spiritual life. They were trying to outdo one another. And to provoke means to challenge to a contest. So some some were so sure of their spiritual superiority that they wanted to prove it in a in a contest. <laughs> Others felt spirit spiritually inferior and resented those who made them feel that way. So both attitudes were caused by pride that could not tolerate rivals. All right. The fruit of the Spirit then is available to all of us. No one needs to walk in the path of the flesh. We can walk in the Spirit and in step with the Spirit, following His leading moment by moment, allowing Him to produce His fruit in us because the Spirit gives life and the flesh profits nothing. So, leaving chapter 5 then, Paul insists that Christians put aside the law and thoughts of self-righteousness and pursue living by the Spirit, seek, seeking to experience a measure of righteousness. But we all know that no Christian is going to do this perfectly. Sin is an ever-present reality, all right? Uh, but Paul will now develop further what Spirit-led living looks like given, uh, given the reality of a church that's made up of people that are capable of sinning and that's what we will see going on to uh, verse or uh, chapter 6 next week <laughs>